We're standing at the entrance to an ancient city called Heropolis, and, and the main entrance is this gate right behind me, the Domitian Gate. Domitian is the first Roman emperor who declared himself as divine, as the one God. And from that point on, when you would walk through this gate, you had to honor him and declare him as God. And back then, the God you honored is the God that would make you prosperous. And so you would go through this gate and you would offer your sacrifice in honor of Domitian so you could get prosperity. The people would watch. Are you one of them or aren't you? And to the gate came Philip, one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. And he, he had learned that Jesus is the one true God and he had come to share that truth with these people. But he was faced with a challenge. Would I walk through the gate and declare Domitian as God or not? What did he do? What would you do? Well, since visiting Heropolis, God's been using those two seemingly very simple questions to mess with my focus and my thinking and my spiritual journey in amazing ways. I mean, the first question, what did, what did Philip do at that gate? And when you know what he did, why exactly did he do that? And how did he go about doing that? And then the question that really starts messing with me, and I imagine all of us, is the personal application question. What would we do in that particular circumstance? How would we have responded and why? And at first glance, and I get this, sitting where we are here in the 21st century in the whole Western culture influence place that we are, it seems like a pretty harmless deal, really. I mean, it's no big deal to walk through a gate. You just walk through the gate. Who cares? But that's our view. We understand the dissociation of walking through a door and, and other things, but it wasn't for Philip. You see, for him and his family, it was a huge deal. It was literally the difference between acceptance and rejection in this culture that they were choosing to go to. It was the difference between whether life would be easy for them or hard for them, whether he could actually provide for his family or not. I mean, to be embraced in the economic structures of that day were all tied up in whether or not you would embrace that culture's gods and, and views and values. And ultimately, for them to walk through that gate, it was the difference between whether he would live or die. And I know it sounds weird for us, but, but the gate represented all of those things to the people of his day. And as I tried to struggle to put it into uh, a vernacular uh, semantic that we could relate to here in the 21st century where we find ourselves, it's, I, I think the best way to describe it is, is that it was their form of what we now call political correctness. You've butted up against that a little bit, right? Where you want to fit into the cultural standards and views, and if you don't, you can be ostracized. Well, they, they in that culture, expected you to go through the gate, their gate. 
And by doing that, you were accepting and honoring their beliefs, and they expected that from you. They expected you to embrace their values, to pay homage to their gods, to bow down to what they bowed down to. They, they expected you to go along, to get along, to accept their ways, not to challenge them. And if you did accept their terms, then they accepted you. Yeah, everything was good for you and your family, but if you didn't accept their terms, all was not good. In fact, you became the enemy. Well, this was a problem for Philip. He came to this city for one reason, to share the truth that he had discovered, the truth that had literally transformed his life, and he knew he had the truth that could transform and change the lives of the people in that city. He knew that everything they were longing for and everything they were looking for could be discovered and found and experienced in the truth that he found and experienced in his life. But, but to introduce them to that truth, he had to tell them the truth that all of their gods were false gods and all of their values were misplaced and even wrong. He, he came to this city to tell them the truth that Jesus was the one and only true God. So, do you get the tension that he's experiencing? I mean, how could, he, how could he walk through the gate and still have his message be taken seriously? How could he bow down to their gods and still say there's only one true God and his name's Jesus and, and only his truth is valid? How could he do it? Well, the truth is he couldn't. And yet, from a human perspective, how could he not walk through the gate? And this is where we have to put ourselves in the story with some empathy, with some understanding. Because we look at these people as being some kind of superhumans of faith, and of course he wouldn't walk through the gate and bow down to these things no matter what he was facing, but the truth is he was like us, living out his one human experience. And how could he not walk through the gate is what I say. I mean, he, he had a family. History tells us that he had daughters, and I mean, by not walking through the gate, he puts his family at significant risk and, and disadvantage. He, he also had to be accepted, if you think about it, by the people in that city if, if he was going to be successful in, in sharing with them the truth of Jesus. I mean, you, you can't be rejected and still have a conversation. And so, I mean, he was saying, I, I mean, how can I reject these people up front and be rejected by them and still have my mission? I mean, I've got to have a point of contact. And so, you know, maybe I should go through that gate and to get a little bit, you know, more interesting. He, he knew that to be successful in sharing his truth and fulfilling his mission, it would probably be best if he wasn't dead, right? I mean, it'd probably be good to still be breathing if he's going to be successful in this thing, so staying alive was probably a fairly decent goal at that time for him, and, and on and on it went. And what I'm trying to share with you is that, that there were so many ways to rationalize his choice. Yes, he was coming to declare Jesus as God, and yes, it's true that their hopes were all put in false gods. He was there to embrace and share God's values, and yes, their values were contrary to it, but, but if he could find some ways to maybe not offend and bow down and do these things without, you know, ruining everything. Wouldn't that be better? And we know that tension, I believe. So the question comes so that we can go further. 
well, what did he do? And while we were there, we kind of share the rest of the story. I'm standing in the center of the church that was built to honor Philip, who was ultimately martyred for his faith. It's on a hillside overlooking Domitian's gate. I asked the question, what did he do? Well, there's no way he walked through that gate. He walked around. He felt like if his story about Jesus being the only God was going to count for anything, he could never bow down and call Domitian God. But what we don't realize is that Philip was a martyr long before he was killed for his faith. In fact, the Greek word for martyr simply means witness. It's really interesting to me that I've spent my entire life studying the Bible, studying the early followers of Jesus, trying to learn personally and then teach others how to live for those truths. And yet in coming here and and experiencing where Philip lived as a martyr and then died as a martyr, he has all of a sudden become a huge hero of mine. He was basically unnoticed to me before. You know, there's Peter and James and John and Paul, but now I have Philip to look to, to learn from, to follow. So I might live my life as I've been called to live, as a witness. So the answer's easy and ultimately profound in its impact. What did he do? He walked around the gates. He walked around. He found another way to enter the city than to bow down and embrace their God and their values. He refused to conform to the culture of his world, even though it made his life and his family's life significantly more difficult and even dangerous. He, he sought... God's pleasure and God's provision and God's acceptance over man's. He decided that he didn't need the prosperity that Heropolis could offer because he could have the provision and prosperity of God. And so he would choose God over anything else if that was necessary. And he lived as a witness to Jesus. What did he do? He he shared the story of Jesus and the truth of Jesus even in a world that violently opposed it because they ultimately were desperate for it. He knew without Jesus they'd have no hope and so he put himself at risk so they might have a chance at hope. That's what he did. And, and the result, well, according to tradition, he was beaten, imprisoned, and as hard as this is to imagine, forced to watch as his daughters were violated and abused. And then he was hung, tradition tells us, upside down on a cross where he died. On the surface, it seemed like he had blown it. I mean, let's put ourselves there. I mean, who was winning and who was losing in this moment? 
I mean, all he had to do was walk through the gate. I mean, what a lousy decision he made for himself and his family. Looks like he lost everything, but he hadn't blown it, and he didn't lose everything because in the end, his story, his message, his God won the day and changed the world. You see, the church that was built to honor him was built on the high ground of the city. In fact, one of the world's great theaters of that day was on the high ground of that city. And then right next door to it, right next door, is now this church built to honor this one who didn't walk through the gates, this one who shared Jesus. And ultimately, because he shared Jesus, the city was one for Christ. This one is a hero because of what he did. And he was buried there. In fact, we were able to find the tomb, and they found it just a couple of years ago. We were able to see the tomb, and it's just outside of the church that was built in his honor and another chapel that had been built to his honor. And, and it just tells us this guy was for real, and he was there, and he was buried. He died for his faith, to, to which a lot of people go, okay, you say he won, I mean, really? Okay, so people learned about Jesus and they built chapels and churches to his honor and people came to Christ. Isn't that great? But he died and so did his family. That is true. But you know, that grave represents where his body was put, but it doesn't represent where he went. Because though he died in this physical life, he walked into, with his family, God's presence. And for me, he's a hero. He challenges me to live my one life differently and bigger and better, and my prayer is he'll challenge you to do the same thing. Here's the question that's been plaguing me, though. I mean, I stood there, and I know what it's like to be a human, and I know what it's like to be faced with tough choices, and I know what it's like to try and rationalize to win-win, to you know? I get to win in this life, and Jesus still wins, and I know what all that's like. And so I've been wrestling with, why did he do this? Why, how, did he, how did he develop the confidence and the courage and the wisdom and the strength to do this? And I have to tell you, as I've been seeing some of the answers unfold, it's been challenging me and encouraging me. And I want to share these with you to challenge and encourage you this weekend. Uh, why would he stand for Jesus even if it meant such destructive realities would come into his life? Well, because, three simple words, Philip really believed. I mean, Philip, and you want to maybe make it in all caps, really believed. You know, there are people who say they believe. They talk belief. They sing belief. They act belief. They put on belief. The world is filled with people like that. But, but Philip really believed. Jesus wasn't just a story to this guy. Jesus was the real deal. I mean, I mean to, to Philip, Jesus really did die and then did something no man can do. He really did rise again, and he did it so that our lives could experience the forgiveness of guilt and shame and dysfunction and brokenness, and we could experience once again the paradise God created for us, a relationship with God. And, and Philip didn't just sing the songs and say the words of a catechism. He believed it with all of his life. He believed it because he saw it. He believed it because he experienced his own life being changed. And, and he, 
experienced the promises unfold, life and life to the full. He believed Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And, and who did Jesus say he was? And Philip was in the small group circle when Jesus said this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. No one. And Philip believed that and Philip experienced it and so when he walked into Heropolis, he said, the thing these people need most, the thing they're missing is a relationship with God and there's only one way they'll find it and I know they're violently opposed to it, but Jesus is the way and I can't be so selfish that I don't share the way. I'm going to tell them about Jesus because he really believed it. And what makes it even more powerful to me is that Philip lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and Man, I could almost start singing a song. Uh, and he watched Jesus. I mean, right up close. And yet he really believed Jesus was God, the way to the Father. And if from his view he believed in Jesus enough to die for him, it's pretty hard for us to dismiss him from our view. Who are we to determined that Jesus wasn't who he said he was when those who walked closest to him were willing to die for him. It provides pretty strong evidence to Jesus being the real deal. And, and I have to tell you, when I look at guys like Philip, I'm really kind of challenged to my core because guys like Philip live a very different life than I've experienced living. They had a confidence and a courage and a willingness to sacrifice and surrender in ways that I don't think yet I've come up to, and it challenges me, and it, it, it can really discourage me if I'm honest. But when I really look into his story, it's not one of just challenge, it's also one of encouragement, because you know what I find when I look into the story, it's just an amazing thing. Did you know? that Philip wasn't always this strong in his faith. Now, I don't know why other people's failures make me feel so good about myself, but, but he, he wasn't always good in faith, strong in faith, confident, courageous in faith. In fact, he didn't always see the supernatural as a reality, the the impossible abilities of God as being ever-present. In fact, he saw through very natural eyes, eyes I can relate with. And I just want to prove it to you. This is very, very biblical. I, look, the, the story of, of the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of 5,000 is where Jesus wanted to feed a group of people, 5,000 men, probably tens of thousands of people when you have women and children there. And, 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 and Philip's involved in this story, but it doesn't paint him in a great light. Look at John 6. Verses 5 and 7, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, this is Philip, this is the dude. Jesus, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus asked this to Philip only to test him, to test what about him? His faith, his view, whether he believed that Jesus could do the impossible or not. Jesus only asked to test him because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was going to feed. He said, hey, what should we do to feed all these people? And look at Philip, man. He, he, he's very Peter-like in this moment, right? Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of us to have a bite. You know, he talked like Eeyore, right? You know, I mean... <clears throat> I mean, he, he, he couldn't see it. It was, it was like, 
He saw through natural eyes. He says, we can't feed these people. Are you kidding? If we spent all of our money, we could only each have a bite. And by the way, do you notice how he includes himself? Each of us could have a bite. He didn't care about the other people. He gave, if we do that, we'll only each have a bite, whereas if we keep our money, we'll have more. Jesus, send them to McDonald's is what he's saying. Let them buy their own crappy lunch. You know, that's kind of where he's at. And I can really relate to him, especially when he says crap like that, because I'm telling you, I see the world like that very naturally, but that's the opposite of faith, and it's the opposite of who he was in Heropolis. You know why that encourages me? Because we all start with a natural view of this world. We all start not really understanding the power of God, but if we make choices like Philip, we can grow to be people of such faith that we're willing to stand for Jesus even when we lose everything. Now that is an encouragement. And it's not just that. Remember when he was sitting around in a small group and, he, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one gets the Father but by me, you know? And boy, that's really great. That's awesome. And ultimately, Philip believed that. I mean, he lived that. He died for that. But, but in the, the time Jesus said it, in that small circle, Philip was kind of a different dude, you know? He was kind of newer in the journey of faith. Look, look what, as the passage continues, John 14, 7. If you really knew me, Jesus says, after he says, I'm the only way of the Father, I'm the way of the truth, if you really knew me, and by the way, when he's saying that, he's saying, you, you don't really know me yet. But if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Because to know me is to know the Father. To know me is to know the Father. When you know me, Jesus, you know the Father. That's the whole thing I've been living for. And if you knew me, you'd really know it. From now on, you do know him because you've seen him in me. And then Philip, this is awesome. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. I mean, the IQ level of this man right now. Jesus just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, if you just show us the Father. He, you see, he didn't have the eyes to see. He didn't have the faith to believe. He, he wasn't there yet. He didn't really know Jesus yet. He, he, he walked with him, but he didn't really see him. He sang about him, but he didn't really see him yet. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? And the answer was, no, I don't. No. Jesus says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? And I'm just going to tell you, I relate so much to this because I've been walking with Jesus a long time, but I still don't see him for all he is. I still see my limitations instead of his ability to go beyond my limitations. I, I still see what's possible for me instead of what's possible for him. I, I, I'm still bound up by my own shortcomings instead of by his unbelievable thing. Aren't you? And the encouraging thing is, so was Philip. And yet Philip became something else. And do you know what happened? This is so important. These words are just challenging me. You know what happened? He kept growing. And you know what our problem is? Very often we just sit in our little religious environments and we, you know, bow and we kneel and we sing and we dress right and we do this and, you know, we put on the deal. But we're just stagnant. We're just plateaued. We just stay where we're at. We're not going anywhere. We're putting in our time. We're checking off our checklist. We're, you know, wanting God to bless us because we're putting in that time, but, but we're not growing. And if we're ever going to live a life like Philip, then we have to keep growing. And that's what the Bible says. 
in Colossians, and the church at Colossae was a part of the tri-cities that Heropolis was a part of. There was Laodicea. We looked at that the first week, and then Colossae. We looked at that last week, and then there was Heropolis, and they were all in this three tri-city area, and, and Paul wrote to Colossae, which would have then gone to all of these churches. He said, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord by faith, continue to live in him, grow in him, and you know it's about growing in him because look what it says. You have to get deeper and deeper roots and you have to build up more and more and more in your life. I mean, get stronger in the faith. Strengthen in your faith, he says, as you were taught. Then you can be overflowing with thankfulness. He kept growing and that's why he got to the place he really believed. And I'm challenged by that. I want to keep growing so I can get there, don't you? When I look at him, I go, how did he do it? How did he have the confidence to stand even to his own disadvantage, to his own death? And it's because he knew his calling. He knew his calling. He knew what he was on this planet for. You know what he was on this planet for? To be a witness to the world of Jesus and his truth. I mean, Jesus even said it. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 48. And, and Philip was a part of this circle. Then he opened their minds. Oh my gosh, Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Wouldn't that be awesome? And then he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name in all nations, beginning here where we are right now in Jerusalem. And then Jesus looks at them, Philip included, and says, you are witnesses of these things. You're witnesses. If the world's going to know, you have to tell them that though they're lost in guilt and sin, that they can know hope in life because, because the Messiah died and rose again. And this is what you're called to do. You're called to be, and not just here in Jerusalem, you're called in all nations. So when Philip walked into Heropolis, he knew he couldn't go through the gate because he knew he was called to be a witness. He couldn't bow to another God because he was called to share about the true God, right? And we go, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if Jesus opened our minds to the scripture? Wouldn't it be great if we knew our calling? Hey, guess what? We do good news for you. Look at Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Yeah, this is to all of us. This isn't just to Philip and those boys. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Philip knew his calling and so he knew he had to live as a witness if people were going to hear the story. He had to tell the story. And, and a lot of people talk to me as a pastor about, you know, I wish I knew my calling. You obviously know yours. You're a pastor. I wish I knew my calling. Well, you do know your calling if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your calling is to be a witness to the power and reality of Jesus and his truth, if that's what you've experienced. That's your calling. It doesn't matter what you do. Your calling's to be a witness. You say, but I'm a lawyer. Well, still, find a way, even though you're a lawyer, to be a witness for Jesus. <laughs> I know, it's hard. God didn't, my dad was an attorney. I can smack you down, all right? Here's the thing. The biggest call on your life is not what you do vocationally. The biggest call on your life is whether you live out the story of Jesus in this world or not. That's the big, that's the big issue. And that's what he did. He lived out the story. And as a result, his world changed. 
And this is what we need to do. He lived as a witness, by the way, from the very beginning of his spiritual journey. The minute Jesus changed his life, he couldn't help but tell others. Look at John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, this is the same guy, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, this small little town in the middle of nowhere by the Sea of Galilee. And, and it says, and as soon as Philip experienced that, Philip then found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Can I just tell you something? When Philip's life was transformed by Jesus, he couldn't help but share Jesus. He couldn't help it. it this is how it is with us, you know. When, when we get the job of our dreams, you know what we do immediately? We can't help but share it. We're going to call everybody and tell them. When we get the, the wife or husband of our dreams, you know, we can't help but call everybody. Guess what? He proposed. Guess what? She said yes. Yeah, yeah. And we do the same thing when we get divorced. Thank God she's finally gone. He's gone. I mean, when, when stuff happens, when stuff happens, we can't help but share it. Isn't it interesting? When Jesus happened to Philip, he couldn't help but share it. But, but there are so many of us who claim that Jesus changed our lives, but we don't share it. We work with people who don't know. We live near people who don't know. We live with people who can sometimes not even know. How, how can we do that? Well, two things. Either we don't understand the importance of sharing that story, which means we really don't understand the importance of what he's done in our life, or he's never really changed our lives. Many of us have just adopted Jesus culture into our lives, but we've never experienced the transforming of Jesus' power in our lives. And that's why we don't talk about it. He's not healed us of anything. We've just added him to who we are. But Philip knew he was a witness. In the end, he died because he knew and embraced his calling to be a witness of Jesus and his truth. And as I said in the video, our word witness in the English comes from the Greek word for martyr, martos. And here's the challenge for me. Philip didn't become a martyr because he died. Philip died because he lived as a martyr, as a witness for Christ. You see, too many, too many of us ask the wrong question. We wonder, well, would I, you know, would I be willing to die for Jesus? If someone put a gun to my head and said, are you a Jesus follower, what would I say? And most of us, because it's just theory, say, I think I'd tell them. Bang. But you don't have to ask those questions in theory. Here's the reality. You will not die for Jesus if you're not living for Jesus. And so the question Philip had to answer was, not will I die for Jesus, but will I live for Jesus? Because you will never die for Jesus if you're not living for him. There will be no reason. And, and you know how he got to the place where he could, he could die for Jesus and live for Jesus? It's because he understood the reality that to know Jesus is to die to self. 
Jesus taught us your kingdom come is what we should pray. Your will be done. Stop praying for your kingdom, my kingdom, and my will. Start praying now for God's kingdom and God's will. And you're dying to self and selfish desires and selfish pursuits. And you're giving your life to Jesus. And because Philip had already died to himself, he had experienced life for the first time because when we die to self, we start experiencing all of God. And when we experience all of God, we don't have to hold on so tightly to everything else in our lives. And and you know how he knew you had to die to self to fully experience God? Because Jesus told him. And he watched Jesus live it. Look at John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, a great harvest. Well, what would happen if you put a seed for something on your dresser? It would be a seed for something on your dresser holding on to it, hoarding it, there you go, you've got that beautiful seed. It's when you let go of it and you allow it to die to you, to be put in the ground, that it becomes productive and a harvest. And Jesus says, this is how life is. The man who loves his life, puts it on a dresser, sets it aside, protects it, walks through the gate, will lose their life. But the man who hates his life, in other words, doesn't just live for this moment in this world, will actually be able to live in a way they keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me, Jesus says, must follow me. And where did Jesus go? To the cross. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. How can we follow Jesus through the gate when Jesus never walks through the gate? We don't follow Jesus through the gate. And Philip knew it because he had died to himself. If we're really willing to die for Jesus, it means we should really be willing to live for him. It's like the song that was sung just before I came out. God wants it all. He wants it all. And so many people say, oh, he wants to ruin my life. He wants everything I have. He wants to take everything. No, God wants it all because he knows when he has all of you, you have all of him, and that's when you start living. But if he doesn't have all of you, you have none of him and you never start living. And so I've been contemplating a question since I've been confronted with Philip. Am I really living for him? Really, I know I'm a pastor and I talk about it, but am I really living him? Have I really died for myself? Am I really praying, your kingdom come, your will be done? Or am I praying, God, do what I want you to do? Am I really living at all? Because we never start living until we have all of him. Jesus, I mean, Philip really believed Jesus. And Philip knew his calling. And there was something else that helped him to stand strong in faith there in Heropolis. There's something else that helped him not walk through the gate. And if you think about it, it's very logical. He knew he couldn't lead people to truth while living in compromise. Did you know that's impossible? You, you can't lead people to truth while you yourself are living in compromise. It doesn't work. You can't call people to the light while you're standing in darkness. 
Because people see it. They go, well, you're calling me to light, but your life is as messed up as mine. You're calling me to, to love, but you're living in hatred. You're calling me to forgiveness, but you won't forgive me. You're calling me to peace, but you're living in conflict and anxiety and worry. You're, you're calling me to, to purpose, but you're wandering around with no purpose. You're standing in the darkness. Don't call me to the light. And Philip knew that if he was going to help people see the light, he had to be in the light. He couldn't walk through the gate. Look at what Jesus said. And remember, the reason I'm using so much of Jesus' teaching here is because Philip, this is what he was basing his life on. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. So he said, they looked around and said, we're the light of the world? Man, the world's in trouble. I mean, don't you ever look in the mirror and go, if I'm the light of the world, this world's going to be dark for a while. And then Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp to put it under a bowl. I'm not putting the light in you so you can hide it, he's saying. Instead, you put a light on its stand so it can give light to everyone in the house. I'm not sending you to Heropolis, Philip, so that you can hide the light. I'm sending you so that you can shine the light. Don't walk through the gate. He knew, and so he didn't. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven so that they might have a chance for hope. And Philip knew and I hope you'll get this, Philip knew that if there was nothing different about him, people would believe that there was nothing different about his God. And you know, we live in a world where most people don't believe there's anything different about our God because they don't see anything different in us. Philip knew he was Jesus' witness. He knew that the only thing that people would ever know of Jesus would be what they saw in him and he refused to make God look weak and he refused to make God look lesser than the gods of those who lived in Heropolis. He would rather die than make his God look small. And so rather than living down to the world's standard and expectation, he chose to live up to Jesus' example and calling. He was a witness and he became a martyr. And finally, I find that the reason he could have such confidence and boldness in the face of such danger is that he knew something that most of us miss. I mean, I, I know we say these words, but I, I, I just know I miss it more often than not. He knew that life is more than the moment. Life is eternal. It's not what will happen to me if I don't walk through the gate it's what will happen to me if I'm not experiencing the eternal presence of God the Father. It's not what will happen to me when people reject me because I'm not fitting in. It's what happens to me if I experience the Father's rejection and never get to experience Him. Life's bigger than this moment. Life's bigger than our jobs and our acceptance. It's eternal. This is why Paul could write this in Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. How could Philip face death? Because he knew that present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the glory of eternity with Jesus. He knew it. You see, knowing this is the only way to live for God. None of us will ever live for God if we don't know that the world is more than this moment and there's more than this life. Knowing this is the only way to live for God in a world that seeks to diminish us and to destroy us. And, 
And I have to, let's be really honest, people can really mess up our lives. Haven't you had people mess up your life? Philip had people mess up his daughter's life and his life. They kill them. They ruined their life. They ruined them. People can mess up our lives. And very often when we live for Jesus, when we live for something they don't understand, that means we're attacking them, they think, for what they live for and what they understand or think they understand. And, and they reject us for it. And they try and mess up our lives and ruin us. And they can. But you know what they can't do? They can't touch our soul and they can't mess up our eternity. They can't. You know, we're the only ones that can mess up our souls. And we're the only ones that can mess up our eternities. And we do it because we're so afraid of what we'll lose that we keep walking through the gates of our world instead of being faithful to Jesus like Philip was. It brings me to the second question that I asked as I was standing there at Domitian Gate. The first is, what did he do and why? And quite frankly, as challenging as it is to talk about Philip, what did he do and why? And it's very challenging. I can deal with that challenge as long as I don't turn it to my own personal life. Wouldn't it be just really grand if right now I just said, thanks for coming, see you later? Because then you can kind of go, wow, he was a pretty cool guy. But our lives wouldn't be impacted like they need to be. So I have to ask this question, and it's messing with me. What would we do if we were there in Heropolis having to choose to walk through the gate or not? What would we do? And I have to be honest, whether we realize it or not, and more often than not we don't, we're already answering this question every single day with every choice we make. It's true that our world doesn't have the physical gates to walk through or walk around, but it does have the same realities. They just come in different forms. Think about it. Our world is loaded with expectations, just like Philip's. People today want us to accept and honor their beliefs. They want us to embrace their values, no matter what their values are. They want us to pay homage to their gods and bow down to what they bow down to and refuse to bow down to anything they don't believe in themselves. They expect people to go along, to get along, to accept their ways, not to challenge them. You know, you've heard it. We're supposed to be tolerant of everything. Tolerance is the new value in this world, except when it comes to tolerating people who disagree with them. This is the world we live in. And of course, if we're not tolerant, they seek to destroy us. And if you accept their terms, then they accept you. All is good for you and your family. But if you don't accept their terms, all is not good. And you become the enemy. And if you doubt me, then you've never been on Facebook. <laughs> or you've never taken a stand. Or you don't read the news. We live in a world where if you don't bow to what they bow to, you're the enemy. And as with Philip at the gate, our choice to follow the crowd or not determines whether we're accepted or rejected in this world today. But we need to remember that as followers of Jesus, 
We're not here to get acceptance of the crowd. We're here to get the pleasure of the one and only. And to give him pleasure, we need to remember that we're only here for one reason, to be witnesses. That's why we're here, to share the truth that we've discovered, to share the truth that has changed our life, to share the truth that our world's gods are false gods and their values are misplaced and wrong and through those they will never find life. We are here, as Philip was, in this place, in this time, to tell those around us the truth that Jesus is the one and only true God, that Jesus is who they need and what they're looking for. That's why we're here. Are you feeling the tension yet? How can we walk through the gates of our world and still have our faith in Jesus taken seriously? We can't. We can't bow down to the gods of our world and embrace its values and at the same time tell them that Jesus is the only God and that his truth is the only truth. That's laughable. We can't do it. It doesn't work. We're either his witnesses or not. So we can't live down to the world standard. And I'm just begging you, stop living down to the world standards. We need to choose to live up to Jesus' example and Jesus' calling, and though it might be more difficult in this life, we will experience a fullness of life and a joy we would never have any other way, and we will know God's pleasure now and forever. We need to choose him to be a witness, to be a martyr. You see, Philip's tension is our tension. Our story is the same as his story. The only question is whether we'll live our story as well as he lived his. He didn't start strong, but he ended strong because he kept growing. And in the end, whether we live well or not will depend on what we believe. So let me ask you, do we believe like Philip or not? Do we know and embrace our calling or not? Do we know we can't lead people to the light while standing in the darkness or not? Do we know that life is more than this moment or not? And are we living like it? And this isn't something I evaluate. This is something you evaluate. And here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. If you believe like Philip believed, therefore, I urge you, brothers in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, dying to self, because this is true worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't bow down to what this world bows down or value what they value, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you live this way, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will really is. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect, and that's what we pray for. Your kingdom come, your will be done, because when I live for you, I experience your will, and when I experience your will, I experience life finally. Philip walked around the gate. What are you going to do? Let me ask it another way. What are you doing? Let's choose Jesus like Philip did. Just before I end the service, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you do that? Just those of you who are at Brighton and those of you in Gross Eel, if you'd bow with me as well. And if you're watching online, we're so glad to have you. I hope that you'll consider this prayer as well. I, I just want to encourage you. No matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, 
you have room for growth. I know I do. For those of you who are already believers, I just want to challenge you to be talking to God about where you're at in your stand, whether you're like Philip or not, whether your faith is that strong or not, and just make your commitment to keep growing. But I believe many are here right now in all of our regional campuses here in Plymouth and online who you've just never even experienced the powerful touch of Jesus. You don't have a story to tell yet. This can be your moment. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Take my words or the ideas I express and make them yours to God quietly. Just say, God, I need Jesus. I believe Jesus, your God, and I believe that your will is what I'm longing for and your touch is what I need. I have sinned against you. I've done my own thing. I've pursued my own interests, but, but you died on the cross to forgive me and rose again to save me. And I'm turning to you, trusting you. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me before we dismiss, I just really want to encourage you to let me know. Um, not as an encouragement to me, though it will be, but we've put together some information to help you take next steps. And so if you're in one of our live settings, we have this connection card in the program. And on the bottom, there's this circle. Check that thing off. Say, I prayed to receive Jesus with you. There are boxes at every exit. We make it real easy. You can hand it to a guest service person, and we'll send you information about where you can go next. And for those of you watching online, just hit the What Next button. We'll do the same thing for you. What are you going to do? What are you doing? Let's not walk through the gate. Let's fall down at the knees of Jesus. And if you'd like to pray with someone or talk to someone else when everyone else is leaving, come down front in all of our campuses and we have a prayer team that'll pray with you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time.